Welcome to Ramon's Rant. Today I'm joined by Chris Gillette. Chris leads underwater gator tours in Florida. He's a wildlife biologist, photographer, and tour guide for Florida wildlife. Chris deals mainly with animals such as crocodiles, alligators, snakes, sharks, and many, many more. Anyway, without giving too much away, Chris, I hope all is well with you, and thanks a million for taking time out to come on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. No worries at all. So before we delve into what you currently do with your life today and the work you do, if you can, try to take me back to when you were a young boy. Like, what was your childhood like? Was there any big moments that stand out? And like, what were your early high school slash college years like? Uh, well, I mean, I've always, always loved animals and animals have been a big part of my life. Uh, well, my entire life, literally since I can remember. And where I grew up, um, kind of grew up in a, I mean, I had a nice upbringing, don't get me wrong, but I, I kind of grew up in poverty and there were no other kids on my street and uh, I didn't have a means to get around, you know, to get it, hang out with friends. So basically I would just go out in the woods and I'd go look for animals and I mean, the animals are my friends. So I would just spend all day, every day out in the woods, catching snakes and frogs and lizards and that kind of a thing. So that was like, you know, my younger years. And then uh, once I was 16, you know, I got a hand-me-down piece of junk car and all i do is just bring that thing out in the woods and go look for animals further away you know and like it's interesting you say that with relation to circumstance led you into being the inquisitive and curious type and going out and searching for these animals and being very independent at that stage like do you ever look back on that kind of aspect of your childhood and think maybe if i had a different upbringing and maybe if i was a bit better off and less kind of less imaginative if i could put it that way yeah do you ever think that you could have gone down a different route a more standard route in other people's eyes yeah i i get what you're saying with that and um i would like to think no matter where i was or you know how i was brought up i i think i would still be uh well i know i would be drawn to animals either way but it's uh, definitely a bit of nurture, you know, there and that your surroundings will, you know, form who you are in a way. So the other thing, too, is uh, I, I I wouldn't I don't know. I don't know if I'd necessarily say I'm socially awkward, per se, because I literally mm. work with thousands of people a day. So on it, I obviously have to have some human skills. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, doing tours and doing shows, I'll do shows. I used to do shows for 600 people at a time. So. I do know my way around humans, but yeah. I mean, animals were definitely more my thing. And so even in high school, when everybody else would be going to the mall to hang out or we're going to go to a party, I'll be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going out in the bush. I'm going to go look for animals, <laughs> you know? That's, that's obviously, say, your early stages of your childhood. When you were, say, 16, you're getting your car done. Do you, like, was there a particular moment or a milestone in your life where you suddenly realized that you wanted to become just engrossed with wildlife and that's what you wanted to do for the rest of your life or did you go to college how, yeah. did, how did the pathway form yeah um well you know something else uh, a little bit <clears throat> earlier uh when i was like i think it was 11 or 12 um my parents got divorced and you know which is traumatic and whatnot for a kid mm -hmm. but um what it did is made it where i would uh have my my dad would pick me up for the weekend and i spend the weekends with my dad and every time he picked me up he'd be like oh what do you want to do this weekend you know and he's like you want to go to the arcade you want me to take you to go mini golf you want to go for go-karts i'm like no i want to go hiking no, I want to go hiking <laughs> every single weekend. And, uh, you know, my dad, thankfully, would indulge me and just take me out there. I mean, he, he would try to steer me to be like more of a normal kid. You know, he would be like, oh, yeah. how about, you know, we go do, you know, whatever, go to the action park or go to the movies. And I'm like, no, I want to go look for snakes. I want to go look for <laughs> rattlesnakes. You know, let's go look for alligators. And uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And, you know, he kind of helped foster that in me. And so we go out together, even though he didn't like me dealing with anything dangerous, especially. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, he would try to bring me out for that. So that helped me a lot. And then I got my first job. Well, I started volunteering at a place when I was 15. They had a little baby alligator. And then uh, as soon as I was legal, I got a job there and helped take care of their baby gator. And then uh, it was a nature camp. And so I'd take kids out, try to teach them about uh, nature and everything like that. And I don't know, that, that was my first job and I never had a normal job since. <laughs> <laughs> to say normal in the most polite way possible. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I said I said it there. Like, did you then oh, have to go in? Yeah, college was that yeah. a thing, or was it very yeah. much practical yeah. experience? No, no. So uh, I went to college, and I actually chose to go to uh, FIU in Miami, and I knew nothing of the college. The only reason I chose it is it was the closest college to the Everglades. And that's where I wanted to be because down in the Everglades, mm. there's pythons, alligators, crocodiles, and that's where I wanted to be. So that's the one I picked. I literally knew nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> when you say you go through college, and I'm sure it's very informative and it's very detailed, learning about, I don't know, whether it's the animals themselves, whether it's where they're located and what makes them thrive in certain areas of the world. Was that previous practical experience if you want to call it that where you had hands-on experience finding animals and whatever type of animals whether they're dangerous or not like was that much more valuable than the couple of years you spent in college sitting in lectures and being told this and that it's a very much a practical type of job that you need to learn by actually handling these animals and dealing with them on a day-to-day sorry a day-to-day basis Right. So this is interesting because when I'm talking to tourists and they ask me about my background, one of the first things I usually say is, oh, I have a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Studies. And they're like, oh, (laughs) okay. And then they're like, so to them, that rationalizes my career where they're like, oh, well, he went to college. That's how he knows all this. And, you know, I just smile and nod, whatever, because that's the easy answer. The real answer. Yeah. yeah, Well, the real answer is that is completely (laughs) irrelevant. I, I mean, I am glad I went to college. I advise everyone to at least try to go to college because it gives you credibility. But in a practical sense of what I do day to day, do I apply anything I learn in college? Pretty much zero, mm. you know, um, <laughs> just to be brutally honest. But yeah. uh, I still advise people definitely go. And they're like, well, isn't it a waste of time? Well, no, it's not because it shows determination. It shows dedication and it shows people that you're not a flake. Because if you can make it through that and get a degree, people take you much more seriously. Even if the degree has nothing to do with what you're doing, it shows that you're able to buckle down and be serious. And, uh, you know, that would make for a better employee. I I know if I was choosing somebody and they had a college degree in business and we're about to go wrestle gators, I'm going to be like, well, if you have a degree, it shows that you have focus and determination and you're not going to flake out on me, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. And especially in the work you do currently where people can presume it's dangerous or not dangerous. But as you said, you need to be well-educated. But the fact that, as you pointed out, you actually have that discipline to back it up in the shape of a in the shape of a degree as opposed to just being like, oh, yeah, I practiced, uh, you know, I spent five years with these animals. You should be all right. It just it gives you that little 10, 15% booster, so to say. And well, when yeah, you my- finish, call it. Yeah, go on. I was going to say, my, my newest apprentice I'm training right now with alligators, he has a degree in international business and finance. So, okay. I mean, there, there, yeah, no, exactly. It has nothing to do with any of this. Um, but he also has practical animal experience. And that is, that's the most important thing. I mean, you know, like I was just saying, yeah. the, the degree is nice. And, you know, it again, it shows that you have focus and whatnot. But as far as actually doing the job, there is nothing that'll ever beat field experience. That is the most important thing. And that you could practice, you could put that into more practical <laughs> business setting where it's like, we need three years experience of actually doing sales and whatnot. So it makes sense, I suppose. And when you say finished your college degree, and I'm sure you're doing work during that, was it straight away into doing your own thing? Like what did you get into when you left college? Well, I, well, to back up for a sec, when I got to college, my first job down in South Florida is I, I did venomous snake shows for uh, two okay. years or so. And so cobras, rattlesnakes, all that stuff. So that's what I was doing uh, during college. And then the guy that owned the snakes, uh, he left and brought all the snakes with him. So me and my buddies that were working there were like, oh, what are we going to do now? So we created our own underwater alligator show and just made it up. And that's how we started that one. That was really cool, swimming underwater with the gators and everything. And then I got another job at a different place doing a like gator, quote unquote, wrestling. It's not real wrestling, but gator wrestling shows. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I still work there now. I'm the manager now. And I started working there 12 years ago. Okay, so you've been there a substantial amount of time. And say, for instance, is it very much an individual thing? Like you said there, when you were in college, you were working with, these snakes and some of them are very ve- venomous and and some of them i'm sure not 
the likes of pythons and stuff they're still maybe yeah. quite dangerous in their own right um yes. like is it very much an instance where you need to build up an understanding of the snake and i had a shark expert on a few months ago kaylee burns and she was saying how every shark she deals with has a different personality is it very much you need to build up relationships with each individual snake say you've got six rattlesnakes will all six of them be completely different and some will be aggressive some won't be yeah some will be shy some will be in your face it's yeah. very much you need to just build up that relationship with whatever creature you're dealing with right so it's really very multi-layered so in the broader sense, what I have found is no matter what animal I'm dealing with, whether it's alligator, crocodile, shark, cobra, uh, cougar, I work with all these things and a lot of the same movements, actions, body language, and attitude all translate across every species. So there's this basal layer of how you really want to try to interact with animals in general and how to conduct yourself really does translate across everything. But then as you get into it more, every single species is different. And then within each species, different individuals can be totally different. So it is quite complex, but it is also interesting because a lot of things do translate across species. And like, is there any simple examples whether it's something to do with your body language or your behaviors are yeah is there any crossovers examples that you could give us yeah yeah so i would say one of the biggest crossovers is moving with deliberate confidence and intent and do not move erratically no sudden movements keep everything calm controlled deliberate and confident and that is one of the most important things you can do no matter what animal you're dealing with And I think that a lot of that comes from the idea that, and I say this almost on a daily basis, if you act like prey, you'll be seen as prey. And so if you're moving erratically and you are giving off this vibe that you don't know what you're doing and you act scared and things like that, uh, you know, they're going to pick up on it. Now, no animal can sense your fear. That's total BS. But animals are highly perceptive and they can see if you are acting nervous you know, none of them can read your mind. I mean, that's total BS, but they can definitely pick up on it if you're giving off these nervous movements and things like that. And I mean, the same thing applies to people. Basically, you can go up to either, whether it's a, a big burly dude in a bar or whether we're talking about a literal mountain lion, if you act mm. like you are the toughest SOB that's ever walked the planet, they're going to look at you like, uh, maybe this guy knows something I don't. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Now, now you got to know what to do if they call your bluff. That's where it gets specific. <laughs> but yeah, of, of course, you know, because that does happen. I mean, you know, every once in a while, I do get an animal that definitely calls my bluff and you better know what you're doing. But mm. a lot of times you can get away with just being confident and moving the correct way, you know, just just like you would with people. And say for someone like yourself, who now I'm sure you're you're very comfortable with animals, you're very aware. You're, but like, was there a time early on where you had say that nervous energy around animals, or is it very oh, yeah. much a thing where you need to be completely fearless from the get go, or is it a case of trial and error? But the the reason is the reason I say this is in another setting, whether it's a business setting or whatever you want to call it you're not dealing with potentially venomous animals or dangerous animals. So the room for error is obviously it's a lot more significant. So like how does one overcome that barrier of, I suppose, fear of potentially getting hurt by these animals? Right. So I'm self-taught on just about everything that I do. And which is not a good thing. <laughs> like I look, I, I look back at things. I don't know how I'm alive knowing what I know now. And then thinking about things I've done in the past, I'm like, I don't know how I didn't get killed, but thankfully I didn't. And then I learned from those lessons and, you know, hence where we are today. But like when I'm training, uh, apprentices now, uh, I'll tell them like, Oh yeah. Cause they asked me, they're like, Oh, how did you learn? Oh, I'm self-taught. And then they're like, Oh, I guess I should do the same thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> I don't know how I'm alive. Please learn from my mistakes so you don't get killed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I, I learned those things along the way and, you know, I messed up enough times and I don't know, by the skin of my teeth, I'm still here. That's why I try to teach everybody <laughs> this kind of a thing. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, you know, I've had many instances like that. And then, I mean, to this day, if I am if I end up in a novel situation, it's very easy for you to forget where you are and what you're doing. And I'll have those moments where I get freaked out and I have to quell that nervous energy and remind myself like, oh, focus, focus, do not allow yourself to give in to panic. Yeah, panic is the mind killer. That is what makes you make yeah. irrational, stupid decisions, you know? And is there any techniques you get taught? Because I'm sure if you're, whether it's with the alligators, whether it's with sharks, or even maybe if it's with venomous snakes, is there any techniques you use or you advise people, say, who are on these expeditions with you? Is there any techniques you can use that if you get a bit panicked or a bit frightened, is there any go-to techniques or is it very much a, you either have it or you don't? Um, well, what I try to do, and it's really hard to explain, I guess. I, I don't know how to say it exactly, but I'll, I'll get that, that adrenaline rush. You know, honestly, most of the time when I'm working with dangerous animals, I don't have an adrenaline rush. I stay totally calm and controlled. And I really, I, I truly don't get an adrenaline rush most of the time. But then when something does go wrong, I'll get that spike of adrenaline and I'll get like the shake in my hands and everything. And I'll be like, deep breath, calm down. And I have to mentally, you know, just tell myself like, calm down, relax, get it together. You cannot panic. And, uh, which I mean, realistically almost never happens that, that, that probably happens to me like a couple of times in a year, you know, like three or four times where I'll have a really close call. Um, I mean, I, I had one today, honestly, it wasn't that bad, but it was a very brief little moment where I was like, Oh, <laughs> I was in mm. uh, we, we, like I said, I had about 20 bull sharks with me today and I was free diving and um so that means no tanks just holding your breath and i'm down there holding my breath uh, like a minute 20 at like 60 feet surrounded by 20 bull sharks and sharks really pick up on your energy they have the ampullae lorenzini's yeah. so they have that electrosensory ability and i'm down there with them and they're all being cool everything is great and then something spooked one of the bulls which i think was just one of the other bulls that scared him but he blasted off out of nowhere and his tail struck me in the back of the leg. And I thought it was another shark trying to bite my leg. And so I immediately turned and I got the adrenaline spike. And I, I, I thought I was about to get nailed, you know, because it just totally yeah. took me by surprise because they were all so calm. Everything was great. And then his tail hit me. And, you know, I just spun around like expecting to see teeth on me. And then he was fine, but I had already got that adrenaline spike and then all the sharks get amped because they feel you and, you know, the agitated yeah. shark leaving. And I just had to be like, you know, for a moment I was like, okay, calm down. Nothing happened. Relax. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and then it was fine. It was literally like a, a three second little, little interval that this happened. And then it was back to normal and everything was great. But it, it was one of those moments where you're like, whoa, you know, like that was red flag. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it's interesting you point that out where you had a, a sudden shock and the sudden maybe drop in defense, so to say. And that kind of leads me on to one of the points I wanted to talk about. And with Kaylee Burns, who swims with sharks multiple times a week, she obviously does great work and so does her team to help raise awareness about sharks and also other animals within the sea. And she she spoke very passionately about the negative influence of the media of social media even on the animals such as sharks and maybe in your case crocodiles alligators and all you need to do is think of the effect jaws had on people swimming and their views on sharks and now even recently what's that it's crawl isn't it the yeah bloody stupid gazer film coming out and no doubt it's going to be this ridiculous film just like uh, the majority of them yeah but like, do you ever feel or do you believe there will be a day in which the the majority, like there's always going to be a minority in every sense of the word, whether it's politics, sport, whatever, that would be naysayers. But do you ever feel in the future there'll be a day where the vast majority of people's minds will be changed when they look at animals like sharks, when they look at animals like crocodiles or snakes or spiders? Do you ever see that day coming? I sincerely hope so. I think that we have come a very, very long way already. Obviously, we're nowhere near perfect, and it is a mess for the most part. But we have definitely come so much farther than where we were, you know, even 30 years ago. 
Like people yeah. do have a much better understanding. And a lot of that, I mean, I, I would say is thanks to people like Steve Irwin. And, uh, you know, that that's the model that I try to follow is where you're up close with an animal and just showing that it is not aggressive and it's not out to get anybody. And I mean, the real key to the whole thing is education, getting people to understand that these animals are not out to get you. Most of them honestly don't even care about people, but because of the way the media portrays them and how TV portrays them, we get this idea that all animals want to attack us and kill us at all times. And that's just simply not true. And so the more you can educate people on the subject, the more you can change their minds on it. And the work you do now, obviously there's very, there's several different facets. So as you said, you were there on a shark tour today, the next day you could be doing a alligator tour yourself, as you said, in Florida near the Everglades, mm-hmm. you could be handling snakes whatever but like what do you is it just purely down to the awareness point of view say if we focus in on alligators and crocodiles is it purely do you want to do these tours is the ultimate goal is to get people in to experience it firsthand and then in turn to showcase that these are not what the majority think they are these are animals that can keep themselves to themselves they can be inquisitive but not dangerous is that your ultimate goal with the work you're currently doing yeah yeah so for anybody who doesn't uh know what we're referring to one of the jobs that i do is i run a underwater alligator tour where i bring people in swimming no cage no glass separating just literally free swimming with a 10-foot alligator and a thirty-five thousand gallon enclosure and it's a gator i've known for 12 years and so it's very calm and a lot of people come and they expect this to be some adrenaline And the number one descriptor that people use when they leave is that the experience was surreal and calming and beautiful. And so that's what I really want is I want people to come in and, you know, really just leave all these preconceived notions of how alligators are quote unquote, supposed to act and be able to walk away thinking these are beautiful animals that deserve our respect and our reverence and not fear. You said there you've, you had a massive long time spent with this particular alligator that does the tours and you see people having tigers from a week old and raising them themselves you see bears all sorts of of animals like that crocodiles in my in my view anyway are slightly different with relation to they're in their own turf which is the, the water it's their home it's their backyard so to say like how how do you go about building a relationship with the oldest reptile around with something that is perceived as dangerous? Like how do you get to the point where you know the behavior of the the alligator or the crocodile back to front and you have the trust in that alligator to say behave in the way you want it to on a consistent basis, especially when you're getting people involved um, apart from yourself? Right. So the idea is my, you know, years of experience working with them teaches me to recognize the signs and signals that they give to let me know what they're thinking, right? Whether or not they're thinking about food or whether or not they're being defensive or anything like that. So once you have this experience to be able to kind of read the animal, then you work off of that. And then you put rules in place for your people to prevent the stimulus that would cause that reaction in the animal. So realistically, do I trust that Casper would never bite somebody? No, of course not. If you do something stupid, he will bite you. He's a wild animal. And this is where it does differ from how a lot of people think about, like like you brought up the people with tigers and things like that. A lot of those people truly trust that that animal would never bite them. Hmm. And they're wrong. Sorry. <laughs> I've done this my whole life. I have my own opinion. I've raised uh, a cougar, Florida panther, you know, myself. Um, that's that's just a flat-out lie that you tell yourself, and, and that is the product of hubris and thinking you know a lot more than you do. So what my experience has taught me is that a wild animal is a wild animal, and you have to treat it like a wild animal. And if you think that you are somehow special, guess what? You're not. I'm sorry. You know, end of the story. I'm not special to Casper, but I understand him and I understand how his brain works and how he thinks about things. And therefore, I do this huge, long safety briefing with my people before I get in the water and explain to them, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And these are the things that we are very specifically not going to do because these are things that could instigate this potentially dangerous behavior. And so if we act in the right way, 
I'm fully confident that then, you know, we're not going to have a problem because we're putting the proper stimulus into the equation. But again, you put the improper stimulus. I mean, yeah, the animal's going to bite you. I mean, it's just one of my favorite ways to put this. What is the most sacred relationship in all of humanity? Marriage. Look at interspousal homicide rates. You, you, you get where I'm going here? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see where you're going. Yeah. 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 What, what is the most sacred relationship of all humans? Oh, marriage. Oh, yeah. Look at interspousal homicide. You want to tell me that that's the most trusting, loving thing in the world? And then you're going to tell me this animal, and uh, whether we're talking, whatever animal we're talking about, whose brain is like the size of a peanut, and you think that you can trust him more than you can trust your wife? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just, it, it's, yeah. it's ludicrous. It really is. It's ludicrous that people think like that. So no, I, I don't think that the animal would never hurt me. I just think that if you do things the right way, he'll never have a reason to hurt you. As you said, you can tell by his behaviors, whether he wants food or he's relaxed or he's aggressive. This reverts back to my original point. Like, do you have to treat every single croc or alligator the same? Is it's is there common characteristics or things they do that signal, say, aggression, or if maybe they have no interest in potentially if they're not hungry? Is there certain things they do to showcase that that are visible to even the common person's eye, or is it very much these tiny little giveaways that only say people like yourself would be able to pick up on? Well, with with crocodilians, they are very difficult to read. I mean, I'll just put that out there flat as can be. They're very difficult to read, even with a lot of experience. It can be really hard to understand what they're thinking because it's an ambush predator. And they're not, if you think about their evolutionary history, they're not really spending a lot of time interacting with anything in a way that we're familiar with. You know, we have speech and we have facial features that adjust and that's how you read each other's emotions. They don't do that. That is not how they operate. And so, yes, they are socially intelligent and complex animals, but it's speaking a different language. I mean, they're over there speaking Chinese. You have no idea what's going on over there. <laughs> and so to, to learn it, it's very difficult because it's very different from how we speak socially to each other. So yeah, on the last, uh, one of the last podcasts I did, we were talking about sharks behaviors and their characteristics with alligators. And with say Casper in this instance, is there any giveaways he gives you that basically informs you of his mood or his intentions? There's not a lot. Uh, the thing with alligators, they're typically sitting still. I mean, compared to sharks, sharks usually give you a lot more information to go off of because they're actively moving in the environment. They're swimming along. They're looking at you. And alligators usually are just sitting still, not moving, not doing anything and giving you zero information to work off of. So as someone who works with both sharks and gators every week, sharks are so much easier to read. I mean, gators just literally sit there, do nothing. And then when they do decide to do something, their movements can be extremely fast and explosive. So they're, they're pretty difficult. But some of the things that they do give you, like if they are feeling agitated or defensive, they're usually pretty... Um, pretty apparent and that behavior where they will hiss at you, open their mouth, curl their tail back. That's a lot more obvious because they are soliciting that behavior. They want you to know they're irritated and they announce it well. So that's easy. But let's say if they're feeling like uh, they want to try to hunt you, you know, and they're feeling predatory, they're not going to give you anything to go off of because obviously exactly. he doesn't want you to know. So that. Yeah, that's a lot more tricky. Um, if he's thinking about food, like a feeding response, then he'll have his mouth cracked open a little bit. That's usually pretty evident. You know, it's just, it's only a little bit cracked though. You got to know what you're looking for, but it is there. Mm. I suppose that's why you, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask, but you were saying when they're, they're in hunting mode, they, they don't want to exactly be waving at you and saying, listen, uh, hopefully I can get him <laughs> some grub here. But is there any, is yeah. there any things they look for are they similar to sharks do they I, I know they like to keep submerged for as long as possible but like i know sharks like to attack from beneath they have different kind of colors of their bodies to blend in with the ocean floor and also the the sun coming in from the top as well 
Like, is there any signature moves, so to speak, for say crocodiles or alligators? Are are the two species different in how they hunt their prey? Yeah, very different. I mean, alligators depends what they're doing. Depends what they're hunting. You know, so this is an animal that not only hunts underwater, but and for aquatic animals, but also hunts terrestrial animals too. So it's going to completely depend on what the prey item is, and that'll dictate how he's going to act. So let's say if he's trying to hunt something on land, like coming down the waters as a drink, things like that, that's where they creep in incredibly slowly, make no disturbance in the water, move very, very slow, creep up, and then quickly launch out of the water, grab their prey off the bank, pull it back in the water, and drown it. So that's one way. But then if they're hunting, say, something like fish under the water, they usually just sit completely still and motionless. They like to do this in flowing water, and they wait for the fish to come close enough where they can just reach out and snatch it in one swipe. And so that's one of the other hunting strategies that I like to use. Or let's say if you're something like a human and you're actively swimming on the surface, they'll give to pursuit on the surface. And uh, you'll see that in like the documentaries where they're hunting like wildebeest crossing the the Masamara River or something like that. So that's where they're actively pursuing that animal that is swimming along on the surface. So there's a repertoire of different moves that they'll utilize. And I, I would be dismissive not to say ask it but like with everything everything in life there is always accidents here or there and like with relations to say humans like say with sharks it's a lot of the time it's mistaken identity or else it's curiosity with snakes it could be them getting stepped on and feeling threatened are crocodiles similar in nature with relation to that like how do they view their prey are they a type of animal that if it's in their say in their area they're going to attack it if they're hungry they're going to attack it or is it very much the behavior of that animal or human or whatever is in that water is that going to dictate whether they attack or not yeah yeah i mean it's going to come down to how you're acting and how they perceive your actions so if you go floundering into the water and splashing around i mean yeah they're going to be like well, there's something, either that guy's really dumb or there's something wrong <laughs> yeah. with him. Either way, I can take advantage of this situation, you know? And this comes back to the whole, you act like prey, you are prey. So humans are not very good in the water when compared to other animals. You know, we like to think, oh yeah, Michael Phelps, man, we can swim. Dude, you are an infant compared to any actual aquatic animal, even at the highest athletic level. So if you're swimming in the water compared to an alligator, you're still going to look like a fool no matter how good you can swim. So they're going to see you and be like, something wrong with that guy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that's why like when I'm, when I'm in the water, I just try to keep my movements calm slow controlled and not really given much to go off of you know but the other thing too is if you're swimming along and they're on the surface and you're swimming on the surface from their point of view they're only going to be able to see the top of your head and your arms moving and from that point of view you're going to look like something small enough to be prey and that's where you i mean i've had a five foot alligator try to attack me in the water and it's like a, a five foot gator <laughs> are you serious <laughs> like that animal is yeah, he's got, he has no business trying to attack something mm. of my size. And I, and I really mean that. A five-foot gator would never attack an adult person. But if you're swimming and he sees just the top of your head, you look small enough to be prey from that point of view. And so he'll come on to try to see if he could take it. Now, if you could magically, you know, like pull a Jesus and stand up on the water, he'd be like, oh, man, that thing's a lot bigger than I thought it was and I'll leave you alone. But Again, from that point of view, they can think that you're a lot smaller than you are. So that's how when people do get bitten by an alligator or killed by a gator, it's usually because they were swimming in the habitat or you're dealing with an alligator that's been fed by people and therefore conditioned to see people as a food source. That's the most common reason, you know, things mm. like that. And that, that kind of leads me on. I've only really got two more topics to bring up, but one of them ties into what you just said, and that's about people feeding alligators or crocs whatever and especially around the florida region from what i understand and what i've read a lot of people just take their own liberties feed them the leftovers of the dinner and as you said that creates a comfortable environment where the croc or the alligator you know associates humans with food and a lot of the work you end up doing is having to rescue these gators and because once they become 
in contact with human, it either goes one or two ways. Either they take liberties and take it into their own hands and kill the creature for just no particular reason. And like what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to ask here is that like, is that still a massive issue in America right now where people are taking action when they shouldn't, they should be calling people like yourself or other rescuers who will go safely remove the uh, alligator or the croc and put it back to its natural habitat away from where people are living and away from where it could potentially hurt someone or God knows what. Yeah, it's, it is a complicated situation and realistically the solution to the situation is just education of the public get people to understand don't feed the animals don't feed the alligators i mean for one the number one reason people get bit or killed by a gator in this state is because somebody had been feeding that gator previously and that really is like 99 percent of all alligator problems that we get is because somebody's feeding the gator beforehand you know and it teaches them to associate humans with food they lose their fear of people you know it's pretty basic knowledge but you'd be surprised that either people don't know that or they're very apathetic to it they just they don't care and it's usually the instance where it's some guy feeding the gator and you're like oh you know that's dangerous that's how people get hurt oh i'm not gonna get hurt well guess what you're right you're not the one that's probably gonna get hurt it's probably gonna be some innocent person that walks along and has no idea there's a gator's been being fed by this yahoo here for weeks walks up to the water's edge and gets nailed that's what usually ends up happening. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a really horrible situation. And that's why we also say a fed gator is a dead gator. Because not only are you creating a situation where a person get hurt by that gator, but that gator is going to ultimately end up being killed because now it's lost its fear of people and it's going to be killed for it. You know, so that's why we just really try to educate people. Don't feed mm. the alligators. Sensible advice. Like, do you have a goal in your mind is it just day by like do you take life day by day do you take whether it's tours photography shark dives whatever you end up doing each day are you a type of guy that's day to day or is there something you see in 5 10 15 years whether it's making a substantial difference with regards to conservation of gators whether it's about education of gators is there anything in particular that you're looking to get out of your work ultimately it's it's both you know it's day to day and i have long overreaching goals so you know the day to day is just try to do these jobs and survive <laughs> good start <laughs> not to put too fine of a yeah not to put too fine of a point on it but uh yeah i mean my my normal quote unquote normal week i'll i'll have multiple instances where i could have been killed like it's it's really funny in a way. I I, I have a kind of a morbid <laughs> sense of humor, but it's hilarious. Yeah, you yeah. Know, almost got bitten. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think it is. You know, like I, I have all these crazy things happen, and you know, when I think about it to like to a normal person, what what could have been like the most, and it sounds really arrogant, but it is also funny. That's why I'm going to say it. I preface it by saying I don't mean it to sound so arrogant, but my normal day. For a lot of people, it would be like one of the most exciting things they've ever done in their entire life. And I'm like, oh, man, that was close. All right, on to the next thing. And I'll have like multiple things like that in a week. <laughs> like, you know, like when I meet people, what I just told you about the shark that happened today. And I'll meet somebody and we're talking about sharks. Like, oh, dude, one time I had a shark like bump me. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's cool. <laughs> it happened to me like once a week. But this guy remembers it from 20 years ago because it was so significant for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, So I, I know it sounds like kind of a jerk thing to say, but I, I do find it humorous. But anyways, uh, back to your actual question though. Yeah, I have my day to day of just trying to educate people every day to learn what I can about the animals. I learn new things all the time. I would like to think I I know what I'm doing for the most part, but honestly, I I really do learn new things all the time. I'm constantly fascinated by these animals and they're educating me. And then I try to educate the public also off of what I know. And that's kind of day to day. But the overarching goal as much as I love working with the organizations I currently work with, and they're awesome, and I don't mean this in a way to point out any flaws, but I would like to be able to have my own place one day and to be able to run my own rescue. And, you know, that that would be the goal. But, of course, that takes a lot of money, and that's what makes <laughs> yeah, it hard. I can imagine. <laughs> and just actually one of the things someone asked me to mention is, say, for instance, yourself, you have – thousands and thousands of people watching your day-to-day actions whether it's it's uh, we've been through it all as you said today you were on a shark tour 
the next you might be posting an Instagram picture of you with a gator and stuff like that. And I asked this the last time and it kind of ties into the the way people view it. Like how do you deal with the balance just like most other high profile, whether they're movie stars, whether they're sports stars, in your case, wildlife. Like how do you deal with I'm sure you get great comments and I'm sure the vast majority of them are great comments, but how do you deal with the naysayers that are saying what you're doing is whatever. Right. It's pointless. It's dangerous. You're stupid. You're crazy. <laughs> like how, how, how do you yeah. deal with that? Cause you're so, so public about the work you do. Right. So one of the ways I like to think about this, the social media following that we end up with is incomprehensible. It truly is right now. I'm at 140 something thousand followers on Instagram that is a number that I cannot truly begin to understand. Imagine seeing a thousand people in one place. Okay, that's a lot of people. And, and truly, most people really can't fathom a thousand people together that are all listening to you. Now I have a hundred and forty something thousand people listening to me. And that, in the grand scheme, is a relatively small amount compared to some yeah. of the other pages that have five million. That's crazy. You know? And so. Yeah, so what what I'm getting at though is it's it's incomprehensible. You know, it's a number that I truly cannot begin to understand and so I don't even try to. I just try to be me and I don't I really I don't even try to think about the amount of people that are viewing what I'm doing because it becomes overwhelming and it's confusing because I I truly can't begin to imagine it in a, in a realistic sense. So I just do what I do and I try to not think about it. But what I'm getting at, let's think about this in terms that you can understand. You can imagine 100 people yeah. in a room, right? Sure. 100 people in this room. Now, out of 100 people, how many of those people do you think are just effing <laughs> morons? Okay? You, you got to imagine, I have 100 people. What do you got? One, yeah. two of them, you know? How many of those people do you think are just total D-bags and are just going to be total a-holes to you? Yeah, okay, one or two of those. Okay, so let's say there's four people in this room of 100 people that are just going to absolutely suck, right? Yeah. Now... Imagine instead of a hundred, it's a hundred thousand mm. of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, and what 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 is that going to give us? Four four hundred or yeah, you know, I mean, or is it, it four thousand? Oh, man, it I will suck give at math. you if it's one out of Jesus Christ, you put me on the spot here. It should be four hundred, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Now I have 140,000, you know, whatever that number is, that's how many people out of that selection, you know, 400, 500 people that are going to just be total a-holes or just total morons. And you just have to think about it like, that's really how I think about it. When I see these people attacking me and it's really hard not to take it personally, you know, because again, I'm just doing my day to day and I'm not used to thinking in that scope of that many people. So when you have somebody saying like, I hope you die, you know how many of those I get? I hope that animal kills you. I'm like, wow, dude, somebody, somebody literally wrote to say that they hope that I get killed. And I get that almost wow. daily where people are wishing death upon me. And it's hard to not take yeah. that to heart and not be like, wow, man, like I get sad sometimes. Where I'm like, dude, you know, like five or six people today told me they hope that I die. What am I doing wrong that people literally hope that I die? But, you know, then I just come back to this idea that like, well, you know, out of a room of 100 people, four of them are going to be idiots. So, da 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 Therefore, I really try not to take it personally because I just imagine, you know, they are just that percentage of people that you'll never reach that just live some horrible, crappy life in their mom's basement and hate everybody. <laughs> so you know yeah that's a that's a good way of looking at it chris to be fair and it's it is a thing that uh it is definitely highlighted in today's society and i think that's a pretty pretty decent way of looking at things especially from the, the amount of people you're talking to it's essentially two rolling stone concerts uh watching your day today so it is it is unfathomable as you yeah. said but um well people wish yeah people wish death on me but also on my animals you know, I get people, oh, I'm going to show up at your work and kill those alligators you love so much. I'm going to make a pair of boots out of them. I'm going to eat your bird. <laughs> I'm going to come there and I'm going to, no, really, people do say that, you know, or, or like, or they say nasty things about my girlfriend, you know, things like that. Like people, I'm like, dude, what is wrong with your life that you're just going to attack someone on the internet you don't know and write vile, hateful things? Yeah. No, just, it is shocking. And it's a double-edged sword as in, 
you need that source to be able to promote what you're doing and the work you're doing and the the good that you're doing. But it's it's yeah, the trade off well, is just I, you have to deal with a bit of a bit of bullshit as a, a side dish sometimes. Right. So like on um on my Instagram, I can at least set it where only people that follow me can comment. And that's great because, you know, when one of my videos goes viral, it's seen by many people, but unless they choose to go to my page and hit follow, they can't comment. And then hopefully if they go to my page to hit follow, then they're going to look at my other content, get an idea of who I am, and then be like, oh, okay, maybe this guy knows what he's doing. Facebook, though, doesn't work like that. My videos go viral on Facebook, and then they're seen by people who don't follow me, have no idea who I am, and then it's nothing but hate. So I, I'm seriously contemplating getting rid of Facebook because it is, I, I just had a video go viral, not even viral, really. It only had 600,000 views and it was over a thousand comments deep. And 98% of those are people telling me how they hope I die and other horrible things. Mm. <laughs> so maybe, maybe it is time to so, say goodbye to Facebook and embrace. Cause it, well, there's just no, con- it, there's no control, yeah. you know, for the bullying. Yeah, exactly. So now that's a fair point. And to be honest, if I see your Facebook disappear, I won't, uh, I won't be asking why. I'll completely get it. Yeah, but I'll keep Instagram. You know, I can filter out the hate on there to some extent at least. Yeah, which I, I Instagram's a much more positive place. It's funny how different social media yes. platforms have different kind of personalities, and I definitely think Instagram's probably the most positive out of the bunch. But um, I wonder if that's due to the age. You know, like Instagram is a much – it's a group of younger users, while Facebook is, is older users, and I – and I don't mean to be ageist, so to speak, because I'm older than you know most of the people that follow yeah. me. But but still, on Facebook, it seems to be a lot of just angry old people. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to do a study on that and let us know. Or if anyone knows the actual legit answer to that, let us uh, send it on and link it to me. Yeah. But um, Chris, that more or less seals the deal on the formal part of the podcast and how I finish most podcasts is doing a quick fire question around that takes a few minutes. So. If you don't mind, I'll just throw a few questions at you. And the first thing that kind of pops into your head, feel free to shout it out. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite film of all time? Oh, um, probably Jurassic Park. Good call. Well, one, two or three are the recent ones. Is there any particular one? Oh, the first one for sure. You know, I mean, cause I was a kid. I mean, that definitely shaped me a yeah. lot. <laughs> I work with dinosaurs, you know? <laughs> like- exactly. Next question, what is your biggest fear? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't really think about it. Um, it's funny. I think about dying all mm. the time because I try to avoid yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very practical sense of thinking of yeah. dying because I'm trying, I'm trying to avoid it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... I, I, I guess if I just, you know, off the top of my head, uh, you know, seeing seeing loved ones hurt, um, you know, seeing the loved ones to me includes the animals too, seeing animals and people that I care about hurt, seeing the, the world around us destroyed. I mean, that is a very real, very real fear of mine. It's just watching everything around you burn and feeling powerless. So I guess the fear would be to feel powerless that everything is going to be destroyed. There's nothing you can do about it, no matter how hard you try. Well said. Um, next question is what is the best advice you have ever received? Uh, well, maybe what we were talking about F the haters, man. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but no, not to be funny, but no, seriously, like, dude, do you do what you're passionate about, what you love and understand that people are going to talk trash no matter what and ignore them. Do what makes you happy. You know, I, I guess that's the better term, not F the haters, <laughs> but do what makes you happy. Yeah, well said. Um, next is, what is, sorry, I'm getting lost here. The favorite book you've ever read? Uh, well, one of my favorite authors is Michael Crichton, who also wrote Jurassic Park. Yeah. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the original Jurassic Park, like the book is very different from the movie in a lot of ways. So that was really cool. But um, he's got a couple, you know, really good ones like that, like Congo which is also very different from, you know, the book and the movie, very different too. Um, I really like a lot of his stuff. So uh, selection from him, you know, would be probably some of my favorite books. But then I also really love natural history books, uh, just looking through field guides, just reading, learning, things like that. Like uh, I had an animal facts book that I, it was like my Bible as a kid, you know, so stuff like that. Okay. 
And this kind of leads me on to my second last question. This might be a, a tough one for you. If you could bring one animal out of extinction, what would it be? Ooh. So that's that, that would be really, really interesting. Um, oh, well, here, let me ask you. Do you mean animals that we made extinct or you just mean something that went extinct somewhere in time? Somewhere in time. I'm not going to get into the technicalities, okay, yeah. whether it was humans that extincted or an ice age. Well, you know, because, I mean, my brain immediately thought things that we've caused to go extinct, um, you know, because that is a serious thing that we, you know, really should be thinking yeah. about. But anyways, uh, so the real question, though, something that went extinct, oh, dude, I would love to see any kind of big dinosaur. I mean, can you imagine a T-Rex? Can you imagine a Velociraptor or, or a Deinonychus or something like that? I mean, there's just so many amazing, amazing dinosaurs that I would just love to be able to yeah. see. Well, I wouldn't like to see a raptor in my kitchen, but if it was in a controlled environment, uh, it'd yeah. certainly be a, it'd be a good sight. Oh, well, I mean, these are the things I think about all the time. <laughs> I'm like, well, if they brought a dinosaur back, man, I really hope they call me to work with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, and this is always the toughest, the guests find this very tough. Sum yourself up in three words. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, that, that's always hard because... You know, of course, you want to have a sense of humility, but also a sense of pride in what you do, you know. So I would hope that I could be summed up by being um, passionate, observant, and compassionate. Okay. Well, that's... You know, so, I, I, I mean, I guess so, you know, like, I, I, I would hope to be passionate about what I do, compassionate about those around me, and observant enough to be able to learn from those around me. Well said. Comprehensive uh, explanation as to why you picked those three. I normally don't get that, but I'm happy I did. <laughs> um, but Chris, that, 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 that more or less wraps it up. Um, so I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I'm glad we got this done. And for any of the listeners who are intrigued as to what Chris does, on the day-to-day, -day, or even for any of the American listeners, there'll be links attached to all the platforms I'll be using. So make sure you follow Chris on Instagram, not Facebook, as we've previously mentioned. But check out his work because, as I said, it's it's really unique and it's important, which is the main thing. But, um, yeah, Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking time out to have a chat and talk about all things wildlife yeah thank you thank you so much for having me on and it, it was a real pleasure it was fun talking to you and chatting you know it was a good time yeah well anyway chris all the best and i'm sure i'll uh i'll keep you in the loop with relation to release dates and i'm looking forward to your next adventure tomorrow morning so to speak. yeah okay awesome <laughs>